played this. This is Tony, Network Chief of We Made This. As you know, our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you've just listened to, or maybe you're just about to listen to. We're not going anywhere, but we'd love to keep the lights on for even longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This Talent Pool on podcasting, pop culture, and, well, you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. Just head to patreon.com forward slash we made this, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash we made this and get the ball rolling. Now, back to your scheduled programming. Welcome back to You Have Been Watching, a podcast devoted to looking in-depth at the fascinating curiosity that is the British television sitcom, part of the We Made This podcast network. I'm your host, Tony Black, and I'm joined by my co-host, Robert Turnbull, to discuss Paris, a cult Channel 4 comedy from 1994 starring Alexi Sale and written by Graham Linehan and Arthur Matthews. Set in 1920s Paris during the interwar era of art, expressionism and jazz, Sale plays tortured artist Alain Degout, a nihilistic, profane painter in poverty who believes no one appreciates him in his time and spends his days grumbling about it in his studio, at the local bar and to anyone who will listen, including the Faye Rocher, educated Minotti and Maudlin Valerie as he seeks to find fame and fortune and sit along the artistic greats of human history. So, Rob, this is a very curious one. We've got we've gone, you know, we've just done 40 Towers in the office. We're going into far more cult territory here, aren't we, with Paris? <laughs> so, <laughs> so well, we should start really with our relationship to it. I'll, I'll be up front and say I watched it when you told me it existed because I'd never heard of it before, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. And you yeah. pointed this one out to me. So I watched a very, very rough cut of it on YouTube that somebody had uploaded from their video recorder on VHS, which yeah. was uh, amazing because they still had the adverts from like 1994. And that was... That was the best incredible. bit. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Amazing <laughs> watching those. It took me right back to my childhood because I was 12 years old when uh, Paris came out for the first time. So I watched the very, very rough cut of it because it's never been released on DVD. It's never been re-aired on Channel 4. It's not on 
the on-demand Channel 4 service, it is gone. This The only place you will, that I know of that you will see this is on YouTube. So it was all new to me. What is your relationship with Paris particularly? Uh, well, so I, I I watched it first time round. I'm... Uh... I'm a smidge older than you, not not a great deal, but I was I was about fourteen, I think, when it when it came out. Yeah, so I watched it. I watched it first time round. I was you know from almost from childhood. I mean, that sounds really weird when you think about his output, but I was a massive Alexi Sale fan, a really really big fan of Alexi Sale, and also something which we've probably touched upon. We'll probably touch upon the more we talk about these sitcoms. There was a strange period of time which which young people don't understand where you watched anything regardless of what it was because of the time. Yeah. (laughs) So Paris was on before drop the dead donkey and like drop the dead donkey was, was must see. I always had to watch drop the dead donkey Uh, or, you know, whose line is it anyway? And Paris was in this slot. It was on there. Um, So I watched Paris with, you know, with sort of, well, trepidation when it first came out because I was a big Alexi Sale fan, but I was not a Linehan and Matthews fan. Because, of course, Alexi Sale, you know, lots of sketch shows, and sketch shows are very much, you know, hit and miss. Um, and I was not a fan of the work that they wrote for him. But, you know, they're doing a sitcom, see how it goes. So, yeah, I watched it. I watched it first time round. And in the, in the years since, I basically thought... Only me and my father remembered it. It's like <laughs> my father and I would have occasionally it'll come up in conversation. Uh, and I felt like I was, you know, like, did I dream it? It's like, am I the only person who remembers this this bizarre sitcom? Yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely one that has faded into the arcane mists of television history, this. I mean, I I was watching sitcoms when I was 12 years old. but And, and I remember loving... I never really watched Drop the Dead Donkey. That is one, actually, that I, I need to watch as an adult because I think I will get a lot out of it. I, I remember watching bits of that and it never... Well, oh, I never really great, got it, yeah. I think, at that age. And I, I never really carried on watching it, to be honest. But yeah. I think I would now. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that eventually. But I remember watching... I loved Whose Line Is It Anyway? I used to watch that religiously all the time. So... Oh, well, of course. It's just yeah. the best. And, and so I... I I, I'm surprised I never really re- watched Paris. I certainly don't remember it being on. Uh, and and I don't know, I, I wasn't really into Alexi Sale, to be honest. I don't really remember watching him because obviously Linehan and Matthews, and we'll talk about this, but they very, very quickly after this went on to start writing Father Ted, which obviously became a massive and quite justifiably brilliant sitcom. And they before had written, like you said, sketch show stuff for things like... Um, Alas, Smith and Jones, the all-new Alexi Sale show as well, which I don't really remember. Yep, did you yep. watch that with him in with his sketches? Yeah, so I so I did. It's like I mean, I I I guess if you kind of like properly look back at it, I I technically was watching stuff that was, you know, not necessarily age appropriate, or 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 potentially some of it would have been going over my head. But yeah, from from quite a young age, I used to watch all these shows, and I you know I, I watched the young ones when I was. Quite little, and so Alexi Sale. Alexi Sale was hilarious to me as a sort of, however old I was, like seven, eight years old, maybe watching the young ones, which is a group of silly men being silly, <laughs> and then this this slightly weird tubby guy walks on and just goes, "Hey, God!" I start screaming at everyone, just like, "Ah, oh, it's hilarious!" Yeah. And I used to, I used to love the Alexi Sale sketch show because it used to they used to open with him doing these kind of like 
great sort of like monologues of basically sort of like walking, you know, walking places in his in his suit with his shaved head and stuff. And so, I yeah, I, I, I actually I really, really enjoyed that as a kid. And I'm sure there was plenty of stuff in there that was going over my head as a kid. Uh, but I also quite like that sort of um, very left wing, right on, you know, sort of like it was sort of like the sort of the the, the next wave of um, alternative comedy, yeah. which is a phrase that we all hate, but we use it as an <laughs> identifier, obviously. Um, so yeah, I, I was a bit, I was a big fan of his his sketch show. He sort of came in the wake of like Mail Edmondson. French and Saunders, that yeah. kind of thing, didn't he? he? They were obviously still around at that point. I mean, I remember loving the young ones, and I'm sure we'll do the young ones and and bottom at some point and do Mail and Edmonton because yeah, they are absolutely. two of my heroes, and I'm sure they are yours. But like, I I loved the young ones. I wore the VHS out of that back in the, that double. There was a double VHS. Yeah. But you probably had this. It was a double VHS. It was these massive tapes, these two tapes, and I loved that for the for that show. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and that and that doesn't always necessarily jive with with what I love, really. The the anarchic nature of like the comic strip stuff, which I do sometimes mm. get and I don't, and and that was very very bespoke. It was very particular tastes. People who liked the, what was termed that alternative comedy. So I, th- I suppose Sales sort of came yeah. in in the wake of that, didn't he? But he he it's funny because he's he was huge wasn't he back then i mean he was huge in the 80s he was huge in most of the 90s yeah and he sort of faded a bit hasn't he he's not the kind of person that people you hear people talking about much anymore and i wonder why that is yeah i don't know i mean i think that i mean there, there are many reasons we could speculate on part of it could be that he's he's sort of too socialist yeah, left maybe. Wing now that his his material you know doesn't doesn't land so well um it could be that you know he tried a few tried a few projects that that didn't i mean it's uh, like like paris was basically a flop you know it, it shouldn't have been it's like on paper there's a lot there's a lot of like good things on paper uh but it's basically a flop not a career-ending flop but it was you know it's if alexi sailors had like a few things like that you know he did a did a couple of sort of like random little kind of like almost experimental comedy films and stuff and i think maybe the kind of material that he wants to produce now is not the kind of material that people want to see i don't know if that's quite fair but he's still around and like like so many of the kind you know like the ben eltons and and such like he's kind of he's moved more you know patrick marber and these kind of people he's kind of moved more into uh authoring and you know he's he's written some books and you know he's a bit more of a uh, an auditor on things, you know, you get get him on shows to discuss things. So I think he's maybe just moved into a different sphere. Um, and he still pops up now and again, sort of, you know, p- playing an Alexi Sale type character. Yeah, because he's, he's done some really varied stuff. I mean, I, I always remember him popping up in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. As, oh, yeah. <laughs> as the, like, sultan of whatever. <laughs> who, who bought- that was... That was crazy to me as a kid, like mad. nine or ten years old. It's like, is Alexi Sale? What's he yeah. doing here? Yeah, just like trading like the villain access to his like land for a Bentley. <laughs> I think it was, wasn't it? Something yeah. like that. <laughs> it's just like- but it and and it, I I think he is. So I mean, he does pop up in certain things, and I think he's. I I think the 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 aspect of the political aspect to his comedy is possibly why. You, you, I think you're right. You know, he is very, he is quite top thumping socialist. 
you know, he's he's talked about how he he said in not so long back in 2009, which is comparatively, but he's not really been on telly for, for consistently for a long time. So this is fairly recent comparatively. But he said he's not active in left politics anymore. But he he said I still would adhere to those philosophical and economic ideas of Marxism that I got when I was 16. It seemed to me as true now as it did then. So I think he's and and he after that in 2016 he was very anti Jeremy Corbyn. I think he described him as morally incorruptible in 2016. So it, it, he's still he's still popping up writing things for the Guardian about about stuff as well. So he's he's around, but he's not really he's not somebody that would. I think get on television and do and front a sitcom because he the Paris is built around him completely, isn't it? I mean, it is it is very much trying to create a comedy character in the vein of a lot of the characters that you would see, you know, in the past. You know, Alain Degu is that that grumbling, misanthropic very very he might be set in in 1920s france but he's very very british kind of sitcom character oh, yes you know yeah. so he, he, <laughs> and he and it does have i suppose even though that he's kind of a hodgepodge of various different things there is that diff it is clearly built around sales comic personality i think isn't it paris and that character yeah i think so i mean i i We'll get, I know we'll get into shortly sort of like, you know, dissecting it a little bit more in terms of like performance and, and, and episodes and, and how good it actually is. I think that it, it is built around his character, but not not necessarily his on-screen persona or, or how he was known. It's like, you know, because the stuff that he did, you know, whether it was in The Young Ones, which was a little bit more, you know, pantomime or even just in his sketch show, his, his persona was of this sort of, a sort of an intelligent, sarcastic, but slightly shouty man was, was quite often what he would do. It was this thing of like, you know, stepping in and talking quite quietly and then kind of kind of like yelling at some point, which I think is is clear that they're playing into that. But it's it's based around his his character and his ability to perform rather than his his known persona. So I don't feel like it's quite. It's not quite like, oh, here is Alexi Sale playing Alexi Sale in this show. It's like, well, here is Alexi Sale kind of playing to what you would argue are his performance strengths. Um, but, you know, but obviously it's like, you know, Alan is a, a far less pleasant and a, a far more corruptible character than Alexi Sale is. But it, but it is he is kind of like a, a comedy. I wouldn't say he's a comedy standard. But there's a little bit of Basil Fawlty and, you know, there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of Hancock and there's a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of Partridge. You know, there's like there are all these kind of like very recognisable. There's something quite similar about that archetype of a character who is he is the one, you know, the wannabe. You know, he's basically, you know, Alain Degu is basically shit Picasso. Or shitter Picasso, shitter Picasso, because Picasso is yeah, pretty yeah, shit. Yeah. But it's like he's, he's it the contemporary. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like he just drew what would sell. Um, so it's <laughs> you know it's this idea of this this character who desperately wants to be uh, revered, but actually is you know he's not good enough. He's he's no. shit. No, um, and and that, and that's where I, I you're absolutely right about Hancock. I mean you know that 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 is a, a clear vein. 
I, I agree that there, there are partridgean basil elements in there. I also think there's a yeah. there's a a definite line to Rick Mail as well. You, you could also have Rick Mail play this character in a way. I think it, it well, would, well, well, yeah. I, I think I can see yeah, a bit not, of Richard Richard in this from Bottom. Yeah, I think that you know their their relation, you know, their working relationship was pretty close, and I, I suspect that Sale is is channeling what he has seen. Uh, you know what he's seen Rick do. Yeah, because there's a lot of, you know, it, it is that shouty scouser kind of thing. You know, he's going, ah, sod off, oh, you bollocks to that, and that kind of thing. But there's also that strong vein of sexual frustration, and there are gags about, you know, there are knob gags. There are, there are, you know, there are things in there that are very bottom at the same time. There's pratfalling, there's physical comedy. There's a, there's a level of anarchism, but it's not to the comic book mad extent of bottom or the young ones. It is dialed down, but it's there. And I think that is something that he's sort of a... I think the reason that Alain Degu didn't stand out as a comedy character and has been forgotten isn't because the building blocks aren't there for a really great comedy character. It's like you say, it's that whole idea of the prosaic Brit being elevated to this point of pretentious genius when they're not. And and I think that's that in itself is really funny. The idea of Degu and being able as... And particularly, I think we've still got that as British people. But, you know, we've talked before about how the great British comedy characters are failures. They are completely useless. They are self-sabotaging. They're never going to be successes. And Degu is absolutely in that same vein. He is on that same vein. But he's too similar to lots of the better characters with the better scripts in better shows that have come before him and after him, actually. And I think... Because Partridge didn't get cracking till about this point either. So, you know, he he comes well after Paris, really, when he hits his peak in like Iron Man and Partridge and things like that. So I, I think that's possibly why nobody remembers. Because I, th- I think if, if he really did had stood out as a comedy character, I think people would have remembered Paris and it probably would have got more than one series as well. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a big reason for what. So. So it wasn't a success. And. I actually think that that a big part of that is exactly what you've just said. The character is not unique enough. It doesn't stand out enough. It's it's a very, you know, it's a very standard sort of relatable British comedy character. But also and 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 you know, this will sort of launch us into a into a deeper analysis, I guess. Alexi Sale is not very good. <laughs> he's he's yeah. he's really He's really, really bad in this. And it's actually, it's highlighted because the supporting cast of, you know, like at the time, not particularly well-known actors are actually really good actors. There are some really good actors around him, all playing big, elaborate characters. Uh, And Alexi Sale is the archetypal, you know, comedian doing acting surrounded by better actors. Um, But he's really, really not very good at all. Uh, and I think especially at the time, unless you were a big Alexi Sale fan, you probably wouldn't bother sticking with it. Uh, but it, because he's because he's not that good, it doesn't really allow anything unique or anything. The only hook that the character has is being Alexi Sale. And especially now, as you you know, we were saying before, Alexi Sale has kind of like sort of drifted from the collective consciousness. Nobody's going to go, oh, wow, Alexi Sale. I've got to watch that in the same way that they might. You know, somebody who's never heard of Filthy Rich and Catflap might go, oh, my God, like those guys are in that. Like, I had no idea. I need to watch that show 
because because of you know the 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 main three you know rick rick and, and aid and everybody in there but for for paris it's like you know People like Neil Morrissey, but nobody's going to go, oh, Neil Morrissey has a, a small supporting role in <laughs> no. this sitcom. Got to no. check that out. So I think that, yeah, the, the, there, was nothing, there was nothing unique about the character himself. And Alexi Sell's performance is not strong enough to make that lack of uniqueness stand out he, he doesn't elevate it in fact he kind of highlights what's wrong with it i think and you you mentioned rick and it's like especially doing this uh, you know so like re-watching it i just kept thinking that the show might have been better or may have had you know more legs if if rick male had played the role uh, because rick male was actually a very very good actor Although he he mostly focused on his kind of sort of characters, he was a he was a very good actor who could have brought. Because there are moments in this sitcom where they definitely you feel like they they're trying to go for some sort of uh, almost like satirical depth. Um, it's you know especially in the last episode, uh, and it never quite lands. Probably because Alexi Sale's not quite you know good enough in his performance, and the writing the writing just isn't actually very good. Either. It, it, it's it's whether um, or not you but... could have you could have done with, and maybe this is one of the reasons why Father Ted subsequently is much better received and much better, is that in that show Dermot Morgan was deadpan, and he he wasn't it wasn't Ted yeah. who was the most extreme character. It was everybody else. It was Mrs. Doyle. It was Dougal. It was Father Jack. Yes. And and what Morgan did, he was very funny and he had great lines and he was a brilliant comic performer. But what he did was let everyone else be chaotic, chaotic around him. Whereas the problem with Paris is that Degu is that character. He's, he's doing all of that himself. Sale is shouting and, ah, and all this kind of thing. And it's a bit like, well, and that's why maybe, I don't know. I think if Rick Mail had done it or somebody like that, it, it might not have worked either. Because even though he's a better actor... I almost feel like what Paris didn't have was it didn't quite nail that central performance. It didn't quite understand, I think, quite how to position that character. That was a funny idea. You know, the terrible artist in the middle of this era of expressionism who believes he's, he's, he's you know, nobody can see his genius. That is funny, but it almost feels like mm-hmm. uh, it didn't have the elements that you needed to ground that character in some level of relatability or him having, maybe it was also the scripts in that. I don't think the lines were funny enough either for sale to do what he needed to do with it. No, it's, yeah. it's a difficult one. I think fundamentally he was a bit miscast. And I think yes, the reason then what Lynn and Matthews do next is better is because they get some of those other elements, right? For instance. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. So I think that, I think that you you don't you know you don't exclusively you don't always but the the concept of the straight man or at least the kind of looking at the world realistically character is is what Paris lacks and I think it is a kind of a you know a sort of a a hangover from that sort of early anarchic you know new wave comedy you know of stuff like the young ones uh, but what you actually really needed, yeah, you needed you needed um, Alan to be to be realistic and sensible when all these these sort of like foppish characters are running around doing all these kind of like twenties art cliches. You need him to be there realistically, saying all this art is rubbish, 
Or when he's running around being crazy and bizarre, you needed the other characters to be realistic. It, it creates this very bizarre world and this weird dynamic where where everybody is weird. And so it's kind of hard as an audience to get into that. Whereas Father Ted, it's like they, they learn a lesson by Father Ted, I guess. And, and they realise that you need someone. When you're creating a world that bizarre, that anarchic and that surreal, you need somebody who is in some way grounded. Somebody who we as an audience can can look at and kind of... And it's like, you know, we've talked about The Office. We've talked about Faulty Towers. It is about having Tim. Some, you know, it's about having Polly. It's about having somebody who is... They're engaged in that weird world, but they can have those moments where we lock eyes with them and go, yeah, you get it. We get it. This is weird. Yeah. I, I think another example of that, to an extent, although it's not as clearly defined, was... Linehan's black books that he did later on with Dylan Moran which I think yeah that I would say that's a funny show that you know it's not always perfect but it, it, it a lot of it is really good and I would say Bill Bailey fills that function at times as well he is a little bit more of the normal guy walking into this crazy situation but then that show yeah. that show has three really good performers in it to anchor the comedy as well. It has three really strong characters played by really great actors who can do various different things at the same time. So even though when it is all surreal and they're all a bit surreal, it somehow works. And the episodes that don't work as well in that show are the ones that fall into this same kind of trap. And I think that's the thing with Black Books, whereas Father Ted never did that. Father Ted is like three seasons of almost complete gold because it has that central dynamic that never shifts. You know, it does always have that, front loaded I think and I, and and I think that's that's why I mean the thing is what's interesting is that they Linhan and Matthews had a feeling it was going it wasn't going to go well Linhan has said we knew that yeah. it was going to get badly reviewed we had this tiny bit of hope in us maybe we were wrong maybe it's good maybe it's just us Matthews was also worried because it was going up against Harry Enfield and Chums which was huge at the time mm-hmm. I mean I loved that show I remember watching that yeah um and they wrote bits for that as well and that was a massive massive show at the time so I think they they almost I mean it, it's one of those things isn't it uh, how how is something like this ever going to be as populist as Only Fools and Horses for instance or something like that because it's it's set in 1920s Paris for one thing it's very <laughs> it's very bespoke in its setting isn't it um, and and you know I suppose you could say the same about Father Ted that it's set on this little weird little Irish island full of strange people but I think what people understood about Father Ted was that it had maybe a setting, you know, the Catholic Church. It had jokes and ideas that were maybe a bit more easy to understand and grasp. Whereas I think with Paris, it was it was all about a rather pretentious, old-fashioned world that I don't think people really necessarily immediately understood where the comedy was always coming from, maybe. And I think maybe that's part of the problem. I think I think there's a double whammy that, that really sort of feeds off what you're saying there. And part of it is is that the the show is so incredibly derivative. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Like the show is massively de- derivative. You can you can see Blackadder, you know, yeah. under the under the label. Yeah. It's like this. Like they they've tried so hard to sort of you know Blackadder, but a bit zany, you know, a bit more Channel Four. <laughs> um, you know, it's like, what if Blackadder was made by oh, Channel wow. Four? Oh wow, can you imagine? But it, it's. <laughs> Well, oh God. 
but it's it's so it, it's so blackaddery. Um, but what it what it lacks in in terms of what Blackadder had is that I think basically I don't feel like um, Linehan and Matthews actually had the knowledge or the understanding of the subject matter. It because the show you know, occasionally it's sort of you feel like it's kind of satirizing the twenties art scene a little bit, but it never does any really sophisticated or clever jokes. It, no. it never seems to stretch its understanding or its knowledge f- any further than, you know, uh, an Art Deco poster. Yeah. It's like it's this it's this weird thing. It's it's a postcard. And that's reflected, actually, in the production design, which is almost brilliant. Um, you know, when they're at, like the, a genuinely good gag is the fact that every window you can see the Eiffel Tower through. That's that's brilliant. That's a that's a good gag. Um, and then when they're on the streets of, of Paris, any exterior scene is all designed to look like uh, sort of French artwork of the time. And that looks brilliant. But that's kind of shattered whenever they go indoors, which looks incredibly, you know, beautifully detailed, but incredibly real and realistic. And so as a whole, it doesn't maintain its its, its sort of surreal artistic look, which which is a shame. But I think that's part of the problem is that the knowledge that the writers brought to it is nothing more than a tourist's impression of Paris. Whereas something like Blackadder, you know, has very in-depth and sophisticated understanding of history. And I think that for Paris to to have been more successful, it needed to be cleverer. It needed to have a greater understanding of its subject matter. It almost, almost needed to educate the audience. Not, not, educate educate but it 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 needed to be insightful if it had been insightful it, it might have dragged us in a little bit no you, you're right because all it really does is trade on comic cliches in terms of the plots doesn't it like there's one episode yeah. where Degu thinks and this great art critic has turned up played by Windsor Davis not that I'm complaining that Windsor Davis is in it because Windsor Davis was brilliant I loved him in everything he did he's brilliant just doing his normal usual doing his normal usual booming voice boy (laughs) Uh, love him love him so much I love love Um, art (laughs) I love art yeah Degu Um, he's just great Uh, but uh, (laughs) but um, it was, it, and it turns out it's not him, you know. And there's been all this thing with his children, you know, and this kind of. But um, yeah, it, you know, and, yeah. And, and it's that kind of thing, and you see that in in lots of of the others. One where he he ends up getting arrested, and he and there's a batty old judge, and all this kind of. And it's it's a lot. It, it's not that these things aren't funny, and it has some really great guest stars who pop up, you know, through throughout this, you know, really good, really yeah. good, you know, people who've been around for years, like Eleanor Braun and John Bird, and you know, all, all these great people. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's like, it, it's not very sophisticated. You're right. It, it, Blackadder, at its best, was actually, to, I mean, I, you know, I, I will, I'm sure we'll do Blackadder one day, but the, the I will never forget, oh, in yeah. year 10, this, so this was uh, when I was in year 10, so this would be 1997 in school, to teach us about World War One, they actually showed us the last ever episode of Blackadder Goes Forth, which is astonishing yeah. to think that that's what they actually did and it worked so well I, I we all came out of that class understanding completely what that was all about the big push all that stuff and and it was and that's the brilliance of something like that because it was hilarious but it also you also understood the context for the jokes and i don't really think with paris you ever really understand the context for the jokes because it just uses these this french environment 
Uh, and to its credit, it doesn't have everyone walking around doing all these silly fledge accents, really. You know, oh, <laughs> you know. I think yeah. it, it doesn't really do that, which is good. But at the same time, uh, uh, it, it, the only the, there's only moments where you get the sense of that. Like there's one episode where Roche, Neil Morrissey's quite fay foppish, uh, you know, sidekick. He decides to become a communist, and then mm-hmm. there's there's quite a few jokes about communism and fascism yes. and how. You know, who who am I? What should I do? And that kind of, which is quite funny. Um, but it, it's like, you, there's not enough of that for me, you know, throughout. And th- I was hoping that that's what you would get more of, but you don't. No. It ends up just resorting to fairly obvious comic cliches from sitcoms you've seen do this stuff better before. Well, this is this is another another problem to sort of like, that I I I kind of forgotten until I was re-watching it. And I... And, and, Rewatching, I basically had the you know the same same reaction that I did when I watched it first time. Although, like I say, we watched what was on, so I watched all six episodes. Even though after the first episode, I was like, eh, "It's not very good." But the thing that struck me was <laughs> the thing that struck me was um, there's a lot of stolen gags, or or maybe I'll be fair and say a, a lot of reused classics. Which uh, so I mean, it's like again, not not to digress. Um, but sort of cards on the table. I'm not really a Linehan Matthews fan. Um, I, I was very aware of them from writing on Alexi Sale. And yes, sketch shows, hit and miss, hit and miss. Um, you know, all the even the best sketch shows are, you know, are a bit hit and miss. So the fact that I loved Alexi Sale, his sketch show, but didn't necessarily like the stuff that Linehan and Matthews were writing. It's like, uh, uh, this sitcom is is not good. And it feels like it's been written by by sketch writers. Um, I and I, you know, I am one of the the few people. There's probably a club of about eight of us out there um, who really dislikes Father Ted. So I don't oh, like Father Ted. No, really? Yeah, no, it's oh. yeah, it's it's absolute shit. But I basically oh, I'm, no. not a, <laughs> I'm, oh. I'm not not Got really it. I'm not really a fan of of Linehan and Matthews. I'm sure we'll talk about Fair Father enough. Ted at some point. Um, can, can I can I just point seems... out I, I am I am definitely not a fan of Linehan for reasons we won't go into. But anyway, well, yeah, thing. no, absolutely. But yeah, I could I I am definitely a, I am tell a... you a few things. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you can. <laughs> I, 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 I am I am uh, I am I am a fan of some of his comedy though. I'll I'll be honest, but uh, fair enough, fair enough. It's yeah. not for everyone, and and those kind of shows are definitely an acquired taste. I do get where you're coming from, but I think like you know I'm I'm. So I, so I don't like Father Ted. Black Books, I was like, eh, it's all right. Uh, you know, it probably is a, it, it's a slightly stronger show, I think, because Dylan Moran is is involved and Linehan in particular, he kind of leaves at some point anyway. So Black Books, very strong performances. I was kind of like, yeah, take it or leave it. Tried to rewatch it recently. Um, I was actually surprised by how slow it was, how how mm. slow and there's not, there aren't many gags in it. Um, and then the IT crowd, are, well, obviously that's Linehan, you know, on his Todd, really. Um, IT crowd, I hated it uh, when it first started. Then I had a, um, at the time, my partner uh, was a big fan and she was working on it. And so I kind of got into it and, and had a bit, bit, bit more of an appreciation for it. But my sort of my through connection uh, with 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 these guys as writers is that basically I don't really like their work very much, but I, I can absolutely see where, where father Ted is, is their, their biggest success. Um, 
and of course I can, I don't, you know, I don't like it. Um, and some of the reasons I dislike it, are the reasons it's so successful, but you can absolutely see where they've kind of learned lessons from Paris um, and, and funneled that into Father Ted. You know, there are there are many reasons why Father Ted is a huge success. And a lot of it is is basically it's it's, it's kind of similar with that anarchic sense of humor and that slightly surreal, um, sometimes sometimes childish you know, deliberately silly, almost winking at the camera. Uh, you know, Father Ted, like Paris, you know, these these are shows that know their sitcoms. They never really break the fourth wall. Nobody ever turns around and kind of, you know, winks at the camera a la, you know, Mrs. Brown or anything horrendous like that. But these are shows that yeah, <laughs> that know their sitcoms. Can I, can I just say, if you ever suggest we do an episode on Mrs. Brown's Boys, I might have to leave this podcast. <laughs> oh my god you know so full full digression feel feel free to, to to cut this out at a later date but my number one theory on why mrs brown's boys is such a success is that people at some point 10 years ago people were tricked into thinking it was a bit like father ted i'm convinced that's the only reason like people love father ted mrs brown comes along and people are like oh that's that's a bit like father ted and that's why no. they like it. Because do you know, no, do you know what? I, I, I actually think you're right. I actually think there is there is connective tissue in many ways because it, it, he's trading on stereotypes. And to be fair, Father Ted is full of stereotypes. It is full of stereotypes. There's no getting away from that. Uh, yeah. It is full of very, very obvious and to be fair, probably quite racist stereotypes nowadays or quite offensive ones about Irish people yeah. and Irish culture. However... And that 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 would be you know a completely different discussion, but I think, so, but I think there is definite connective tissue between these very performative format break you know uh, fourth wall breaking shows that bring the audience into the comedy and make them collectively part of it and stuff like Father Ted, and then if you go further back stuff like Paris, which but that is sort of bordering the line as we've said between that comic strip anarchism and. You know the the older school sort of Hancockian nihilism, and brewing it all together, but it never really works because it doesn't really. The the, the thing, the reason I think Father Teddy's fantastic is because I think it really understands how to execute a joke. I think it really understands how to execute a visual or dialogue based joke, and it has really strong performers. And that's the other thing here: the performers aren't necessarily bad, but they're not quite. They don't quite have the material. Or they're not quite necessarily in the roles that perfectly fit them. So I think, you know, it's always the way with the successful comedy, isn't it? So many of these successful comedies, just on the page, they're not, they're never going to be amazing. It needs other things. The alchemy of how to make something like this click when it's performed. Um, and it doesn't really have that, Paris, I think. No, it doesn't. And I think, you know, not to not to talk too much about Father Ted. And I'm sure we'll we'll do an episode all on, on Father Ted at some point, I'm sure. Um, that means you've got to rewatch it all, though. I've, I've watched <laughs> some of it once. That's enough. I'll That'll watch, be enough. I'll yeah, watch that episode with Richard Wilson because that, that was a... <laughs> They, they did a funny gag yeah. in that. But I think it's, it's that That's thing very good. that... Yeah. <laughs> it's that thing that, um, you know, these shows were very close together. And I, and I guess from a, you know, sitting to wait to get a call from your agent, it's, you're almost there kind of like, well, is it going to be Paris or is it going to be Ted? It's like, that would be the situation they're in because they were so close, so close together. 
Um, and who knows if Father Ted had been on at a slightly later, you know, time slot, or if if Alexi Sale had done something a bit interesting for another channel that got, you know, that got Paris a repeat screening on Channel Four. Maybe, maybe we would be sitting here talking about that bizarre quirky show that you can only find on youtube called father ted while i break <laughs> everyone's heart saying that i didn't like paris which ran for 10 series you know so it's like but i think you know paris yeah. is is paris is a weak show it's you know you can you can see you can see the through line of 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 Linehan and matthews as writers you know from the sketches that they produce and from that point of view i think it is a fascinating footnote particularly particularly in in their careers and particularly in relation to father ted it's a fascinating footnote because you can see sketch writers trying to write a sitcom and it doesn't really work it it doesn't quite click and then they move on and they write another sitcom which does work and does click and you can talk about you know you can i can be glib about it and say well the thing about father ted is that it's got loads of catchphrases so instantly people can remember catchphrases uh, yeah. and you you know you've got a you've got a very strong cast you've got a bit of a straight man in there you know you've got something more relatable because it's contemporary even though it's not really contemporary and it's you know it's set in ireland and people find the irish cute and whimsical and also you know people are a bit racist towards them so there are all these other things and also they are two irish you know like we've got irish writers sorry you've got linehan rather so you've got an irish writer um you know you've got uh, kind of like you're writing what you know it's like they you know neither of them were like mm. french no impressionist painters um but they do have an understanding of uh of irish culture or at least how to lampoon it so i think it's a it's a fascinating footnote paris as yeah. bad as it is <laughs> and whilst i a lot of the things that are wrong with paris for me i see those same problems with with ted and black books and and uh you know the it crowd and other bits and pieces that they've done um Whilst I, I, see, I see a through line of what I dislike, I also think it's a fascinating through line of their evolution as writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And, it, and it, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about Ted, but it's definitely so adjacent to Father Ted that I think it's, it's really relevant to compare them. No, no, it is. It is because they're, they're of the same era. They're on the same channel and they are both yeah. in some ways doing trying to do similar things. And I think... There is that sense that they're both about characters who believe they should be in circumstances that they are undervalued. You know, Ted's classic thing is that he's yeah. he's landed on this island full of these simpletons and he thinks he should be like in Dublin, you know, living the high life. And he's only there because he's tried to embezzle the church, basically. And they've just given an island yeah. to punish him, really, and put him out of the way. Um, and that, and with Degu, it's that whole thing that he wants this fame and glory because he believes he's... Picasso, you know, yeah, essentially, he believes he's he's one of yeah. these greats. He's Van or Van Gogh, you know. And there's there's a lot about um, there's one episode where he, he cuts off one of his he tries to cut his ear off, I think, or like like Van Gogh. And they all comment about that. They go, it's like Van Gogh and all this kind of thing. So it's the, the, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of clear and you know, in the end, Degu basically to to become recognised, he decides to go insane, quote marks, and gets himself locked in an asylum yeah. for years. To try and get him, he's, and then the moment he gets locked up, people start to look at his paintings and see something there, and he goes, "Oh, I've got to be locked up for people to like me," and all this kind of thing, which is quite funny. And this is it. It's like, I mean, the best gag in the, 
the best gag in the whole series is that kind of because they actually start to scratch the surface of some some satire, proper satire of the art world and the irony of what what Degu is trying to do. Yeah, it's, it's a it's good it's a good gag. It would have been interesting to see a second series. Yeah, and see where it went. Yeah, no, I know, and that and that's the thing. So there is promise here. It's just so bleak, though. I mean, there's so many characters who talk about suicide, and there's one episode where a young boy Degu's like, ah, jump off a bridge, then I don't care. And he goes, I will, and he jumps up, and they think he's dead. They think for half the episode they think he's dead, and he's like this teenage boy who's yeah, he's a, he's a dick. This boy doesn't but. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's it's just full of people saying, oh, yeah, I tried to kill myself today and all this kind of thing. And it's just very, it's very nihilistic in, in the same way that Ted is quite nihilistic in its own way, you know. And Black Books definitely is. You know, Bernard Black is that is essentially a modern-day Hancock kind of character. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and, they, and they, there is this real vein of this nihilism about the universe and that, that it, it, everything is in some way sort of tethered back to death in this weird way. There's a darkness to it all that runs through this humour. But I think with Paris, it's it's almost like maybe it very it too quickly immerses you into that without anything else to to bring you out of it. I think part of the problem is is the the quality of the writing. And let's maybe you know, again, we we we're talking about, you know, this is an early project for them, so they haven't they haven't necessarily learned, you know, how to, to, to write in this kind of way. I think there's a there's a sense that if you think about some of the the earlier, uh, especially on the BBC, you know, we're talking about the sort of the young ones, uh, the first series of Blackadder in mm. particular, uh, but later series of Blackadder, um, a lot of those kind of like those slightly surreal anarchic um, shows, especially Blackadder in that kind of historical setting, is that they have a kind of a, a casual approach to life and death. Like I've always felt that Blackadder works if it's set in a time where you can sort of get away with mm. murder. Like Blackadder has to exist in a period in time when Blackadder can kind of murder people and it's almost <laughs> morally okay. Yeah. So of course you go back further in history and he's like, he's tricking people into lobbing their heads off and, you know, getting people, getting people executed and that kind of thing. And then you hit, the First World War, it's a little, you know, it's a little bit dodgier, but he can sort of send people to do dangerous missions just because he annoys them or he can get spies shot and stuff. So you kind of have to have Blackadder set in a period of time where you can sort of morally get away with murder. But they also make the murders very silly and very funny. So so somebody being killed is a punchline. You know, somebody being tricked into taking poison is a punchline. And in the same way with with the young ones is that you have, you know, people doing massive physical harm to themselves like a cartoon. It is a punchline. And I think that Paris kind of it wants that, but it's actually not sophisticated enough. and The writing isn't isn't clever enough to do it. it. It never the comedy isn't really, really dark comedy. The comedy is quite frothy and quite silly. But it's kind of like they thought, oh, yeah, but, uh, you know, people killing themselves because, you know, Paris and artists. Mm. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Annoying boys uh, jumping into the river. Ha 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 ha. And there's a sort of a sense of. But it kind of like the cruelty of not caring about people dying comes through in a way that I don't think it does no. in stuff like like Blackadder. And I think I think, again, it's it's a sign of the the immaturity 
like professionally speaking, the immaturity of the writing from the writers, that they can't quite nail that sense of sense of death and destruction as being funny or really dark. It's just, yeah, it's oddly bleak that people are kind of like jumping off bridges or talking about their 37th suicide attempt. And it's that itself is never quite funny enough to be a punchline. It's like a character says, oh, I you know, tried to kill myself this morning, didn't work. The idea of an artist constantly trying to kill themselves and it not working, mm. that's a really mm. funny gag, which somehow this show makes yeah. not funny. Yeah. And I, I, <laughs> I think that's that's part of the, that is part of the problem I think in that it it's it's weird it, it's weird how it can't translate these things into something that actually works maybe maybe in a way it was trying to be these other kind of sitcoms too much i mean this comes from a stable doesn't it of channel 4 comedy mm. that is particularly in the 90s i would say quite weird and edgy and strange and you know, some, most of them only ran for like one series and have been only really recognised in cult circles now. And I think you watch more of these, admittedly, than I did. I think, my, to be honest, most most of, most of what I was watching in the 90s on uh, Channel 4 was Eurotrash, which I'm sure you watched as well. <laughs> I loved Eurotrash for lots of reasons. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Anton Dickons. Um <laughs> I love, love that show. But in fact, we do you know what? Sod it. It's not a sitcom, but we should do an episode on Eurotrash, I think. Because it would give me an excuse to go on YouTube and try yeah. and find episodes of Eurotrash. Because yeah. that is, that is hilarious. Sitcom adjacent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it is, is Paris trying to be too much of, in its own way, a conventional show that people will understand? And, it, and in that respect, it should have leaned more into the expressly weirder and stranger sort of comedies that you would get in around this period. Well, you know, you know what I think is, is a big factor with Paris. And I think Paris is a, is a great example of this. And yeah, I, I was watching all these, these weird sitcoms and there's a whole, almost like a sub genre of these kind of like mid nineties, weird channel four sitcoms that, yeah, they had like one series and stuff. You know, I've talked about Terry and Julian when we've been chatting, you know, that was one that I, I, I really liked, which is again, falls into that category. Nightingales uh, had a couple of, couple, couple of series, but again, falls into that category of weird. So there's something about the aesthetic of these channel four sitcoms as well, that they all look like the set has been built in a warehouse. It never, it, there's a sort of a weird, <laughs> there's a weird emptiness. You feel like the sets are yeah. all next to each other. It's not in a studio somewhere. But but I think part of the problem, and Paris Paris is the perfect example of this, and then Father Ted is, is the example of what happens next, is that I think that the, the BBC in the early 80s, um, they took all the chances on on the the alternative comics, the new wave comedy and you had all the 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 rick males and the ben eltons and all these people uh you know the french and saunders they were all being nurtured by the bbc in the early 80s and so the bbc had this amazing wave throughout the 80s you know it's like the last blackadder was 89 you know and it's like you had this wonderful wave of these slightly surreal anarchic but incredibly well written scripted and beautifully performed shows that, that we sort of lump into, you know, alternative comedy. Uh, and I think especially by the last series of Blackadder, that that genre, if you like, was perfected. But then Channel 4, in the way that Channel 4 often does, and to, you know, to, to greater or lesser success, 
Channel 4 then kind of piggybacked that. Because you've got to remember that, that Alexi Sales' show was on the BBC in the, in the you know, 80s. He was sort of like, you know, he was still part of that wave, that sort of like very BBC-nurtured alternative comedy. Channel 4 come along in the early 90s and they basically scoop up all this, this new wave comedy and they start producing sitcoms like Paris, like Nightingales, but they're not as good. And I think part of that is because the movement, the kind of the alternative comedy movement was already gone. You know, I mean, in Channel 4, obviously, they, they, they had the comic strip, which, you know, but even that was like a sort of a, a focused, more, more sophisticated version of that crazy anarchy comedy. So by the time you've got Paris, actually, that style of comedy is a little bit out of fashion. It's, it's moving away. So to have something so, let's say, young ones in its style as Paris, which I guess is it's more like the young ones than than, uh, you know, that it is one foot in the grave to have that kind of like that slightly out of fashion, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of over this now, the shouty alternative comedy, the very, very surreal. We're kind of you know, we're kind of bored of that. We've done that. We've seen that for, for 10 plus years. So I think Channel 4 had this weird bubble where they were trying to do that and it didn't really work and it produced all these weird shows. But then Father Ted, I think, is kind of like the first step on, on the next version of that. So Father Ted is Father Ted. The DNA of Father Ted is far removed from your kind of your, your young ones and your filthy rich and your, your black adder. It's, it's, it's far removed from that. But it leads us into a next stage of slightly surreal, slightly bizarre comedy and the black books. And, you know, later on, you kind of get IT crowd, maybe even bringing you into, um, you know, space and that kind of thing. So so Father Ted is kind of like the next phase right at the beginning of the next phase. And Paris is kind of stuck in the middle. Yeah. And it's not one thing or the other. And I think that's the problem. It's just not one thing or the other. It's like you've got good actors in support roles, but you don't give them anything to do. You've got a name in, in the in the lead role, but he's not good enough to, to carry it. And then the writing is derivative and sloppy and it's not very funny. And the, the best gags have all been stolen from other places. So it's a really weird, weird middle ground. You know, and maybe maybe it's a necessary stepping stone in in comedy. And I think particularly for those writers, it was it was probably really important that they made if they hadn't made Paris, then Father Ted, as much as I'm not a fan, then Father Ted might not have worked because of what they learned doing Paris. They were able to, to you know, to funnel into Father Ted. So I think Paris is like a necessary evil. It's like, it, you know, the shows like Paris had to exist so that we understood as an audience and so that the creatives understood what we as an audience were looking for mm. next. Mm. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right. And you, you get that, don't you? In cinema, you get it in drama where you get these people who make yeah. they make these big successes. They make these great things. Then when you go back further into their career, they make weird little missteps. And you're like, how did they, you know, how did like Spielberg make that although I don't think Spielberg ever really did really but you know what I mean someone like like that you go how did they make that film yeah well Hook well, Hook's true. pretty yeah, lame yeah, yeah. Rubbish. How, yeah. How did he make? <laughs> I loved that as a kid but yeah I, I'm, I'm, 
I can't bring myself to watch it as an adult now because I feel like the magic would just drain from my childhood. Um, but like, yeah, it's it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you know what? In a way, I feel like that way about some of these sitcoms that we're going to explore over time because some of them I haven't watched in years, and I'm a bit terrified of watching things that I loved when I was a kid, like keeping up appearances, and I find them terrible now. And I'm like, oh, please, you know. So it's going to be a real. I hope now. It's 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 interesting when you watch something like Paris that you have no connection with. It's almost easier to analyze something like that. But when it's something that you really love, it's a yeah. lot harder to unpick the faults as well as the you know the good things. I suppose. Yeah, I think you're right, and it's like I mean, I there are some shows. Yeah, you know, not even there's research for this. There are some sitcoms that I didn't like as a kid growing up that I've kind of like watched a few episodes recently. It's like, you know what? I kind of, I appreciate this more now. Like I used to, I couldn't, I didn't like a low, a low. I, I thought a low, a low was, was, was rubbish when I was a kid. Uh, and then I've kind of like gone back, you know, in recent years and watched a few episodes, especially from the first series. And I've been like, actually this is, I, I, I quite like what you're doing here. This is quite, this is, this is better than my memory of it. This is a bit more sophisticated than I thought. And I think we'll probably have a, a lot of that. Yeah. You now enjoy uh, Zephol and Madonna with the big boobies more, don't you? <laughs> Zephol and Madonna with the big boobies. You know what? Like, the, there are some really clever gags in there. No, there are. Um, there are. Hair flick. Oh. Hair flick. What a good, do you know, what a clever name. Do you know, there was a, I swear, this is true, a friend of mine for years ago lived in Doncaster and there was a hairdresser's in Doncaster called Hair Flick. And I thought that was brilliant. Genius. Genius. Almost, almost as good as almost as good as Kebabalon, which I saw somewhere as well. But you know, this just <laughs> anyway, anyway, whole other discussion. Let's finish up then with Paris by um, thinking about a couple of questions. So, firstly, is there of of the six episodes that exist, is there a choice episode that you think, if anyone was going to dip into Paris and have a look at this, of the six we've got, is there one that you would recommend them go and watch that might best represent this show? Yeah, I. Yes, I mean it's. There's only six episodes. <laughs> none of them are very good. No, none of them are great, are they? To be fair, it's true. Yeah. Uh, I suppose maybe. Uh, what is it? Uh, le Legimix. 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 Yeah, the, the the gimmick episode. That's mm. probably. That's probably got the most jokes in it. Like rewatching it, I was like. Like within the first couple of minutes, I was like, okay, there's act- there are actually some funny jokes in here. Several of them are stolen from other places. Uh, I was actually really surprised. And you know, sometimes you look back at something old and you think, oh, is it just that that they did the joke first in other places? Like, no, these, these <laughs> they've just pinched jokes yeah. here. But that's that, yeah, yeah, a yeah. whole that's a whole other debate for different sitcoms. But I do actually think that that these guys are uh, are quite cheeky for that. I think they do actually do that more often than not uh but yeah joke so thieves. that's yeah joke joke thieves joke joke borrowing <laughs> uh joke recycling however you want to however you want to class it um yeah. yeah so i think that's episode this third episode uh mm, mm. and that's yeah basically um degu is trying to get a commission and it's this point that all all the artists are um they're all coming up with gimmicks to try and make them interesting um and that's uh it's not bad. Uh, well, I, I found it. I found it funniest. It had it had the most actual jokes yeah. in it. Maybe maybe the last episode. Well, weirdly, the last episode is is the nearest they get to any kind of proper 
satire on on the mm. culture of art. And the last episode is also actually um, quite funny. John Bird is is in it, and every scene with him in is genuinely he's good. Yeah, it's real. Those are really funny scenes, and I think yeah. uh, you know maybe <laughs> you know it's this it's this kind of like learning curve that the writers are on. Um, his stuff there's a there's a kind of a control to the anarchy of it. But I think I think so much of that comes down to him. You know, Alexi Sale is still not very good and the writing is still wobbly. But John Bird is so on point. He is he good. Just, he completely sells his scene. There's, there's a great there's a great couple of jokes that episode. The the one is in the in the asylum. There's some really funny visual jokes. There's a poster on the wall that says, "You must be fucking insane," and it actually says, "Yes, fucking insane." Yeah. Like there's no and I'm like brilliant. And then the other <laughs> one, the other one is. Um, when he's talking to Degu and Bird plays a psychiatrist, essentially, uh, and Degu doesn't think much of him, and uh, he says, and Bird says, "How long do you think I've been practicing psychiatry?" And, and Degu says, "An hour," and that's that's one of yeah, the funniest. That le- genuinely made me laugh out loud. I think it's just the way genuinely, he delivers. I like. That. I was making a list of actual jokes yeah. as I was watching. It was like, "There's a that joke." That was really There's funny, a, and that's a, and that. That utilizes Alexis Sell's delivery style very well yeah, yeah, as well. It yeah. actually, yeah, highlighted the whole six episodes. I, I think I would probably go for Insanity, which is that final episode, or maybe Infamy, which is the yeah, first one, one as well. The first one actually is, isn't bad. It's got some decent. That's the one with the communism, fascism jokes in it, and the yeah, I think the trial at the end with the batty old judge and things like that. It's it's more obvious, but it's it it's. It's for that reminded me of Blackadder a bit more in a way. That one actually, that first episode. It was that well. Um, Eleanor Bron was basically playing Queenie. In that yeah, episode. she was. She was basically, yeah, channeling channeling Queenie. Queenie. So there's you know, but I think Le- Le Sanity is probably the best one, and I th- and it's it's a bit of a shame because that that was the last one, and they might have started to find their feet a little bit there, and actually a second season might have been a bit stronger. Yeah, agreed. You know? Yeah, and I think I think you're very right. The f- the f- episode one and episode six. Um, and maybe because it is a little bit more focused on on the actual narrative of the characters, you know, introducing them and then sort of like saying goodbye mm. to them, uh, whether indefinitely or not. I think that they they are stronger because they are a bit more focused, and then it's all the episodes in between where they just don't really have anything to say or to do. They don't have any real, you know, other than Degu either try to try to sell a painting or get his leg over. You know, that's <laughs> that's kind yeah, of yeah, basically. That's that's it. Whereas though that first and that last episode actually have some some stakes, I guess, mm. some purpose to them. Mm. Yeah, I think they do. So yeah, I would check those out. I will I will be naughty and I'll put the link to the YouTube of this in the show notes. We shouldn't really link to YouTube rips and things, but because it's not very ethical. But there is literally no other way to watch Paris. So if it means you actually no, you know. Um, actually engage with this after you've listened to this or before or whatever then um yeah hopefully you go and check that out it's very rough it's very vhs um so stick with it but it's all there in one in one video um well actually five of the six are there the, ad, the adverts are great They're the, the ads are great yeah yeah there's, there's a, one missing though isn't there there's one episode missing but yeah so uh the last question then really and we've sort of touched on this i guess is has paris stood the test of time over the last uh, 27 years now since it first aired. Uh, Paris didn't stand the test of time over the first 27 minutes that it aired. <laughs> so I think, yeah. I think, no, but yeah, for all, yeah, for all the reasons we've touched on, you know, it was a, it was a first attempt 
for for writers who who've both gone on to do much better much more successful projects it was a it, it was a vehicle for it was the wrong kind of vehicle for its main star and the style of comedy i think was already falling out of out of fashion it's a little bit uh, you know what it it's not too offensive i was wondering kind of especially with with linehan's where he is now i was i was thinking on the rewatch it's like right are we going to see a lot of really inappropriate jokes i i think there are there are maybe one or two moments where it kind of touches uh on on being slightly slightly inappropriate maybe offensive but not not to the extent that you would like say this show can never be shown again um and perhaps perhaps it's more a case of like there are a few kind of like juvenile gags, which with hindsight, we now kind of go, oh, he was a Roman all along. But generally, yeah. it, it, I think in terms of a product, is it in its quality, it doesn't stand the test of time at all. It's just, it's an interesting, quirky, you know, it's, especially if you are a, a fan of Father Ted, mm. which I, I hear some people are, apparently. Uh, if, you're a fan <laughs> of, if you're a fan of Father Ted, then I think this is a really interesting um, show to go and watch uh especially if you know especially if you want to sort of see what they were doing almost at the same time and you've got like some great early performances i i actually think it's like james dreyfus i think is is probably better in this than he has been in in any of his other sitcoms to be honest yeah um yeah. alan cordner i love alan cordner he's a he's a proper actor yeah he's, he's the a nearest good actor, yeah. show gets to a straight man actually i think he's yeah he kind of he sort of observes the world a bit more realistically. Oh, actually, I do really like. Sorry, I'm di- I'm digressing. I really like the conceit there that that everyone in Paris, everyone French, just speaks with their their British accents. Yeah. Because he's Italian, <laughs> he uses an Italian accent. Yeah. And yeah, I actually quite like that because it it helps give you this sense of of we're just getting the natural. You know, TV is translating the French language for us, but to signify that he is Italian, he has an accent. I quite mm. I quite like that. Mm. Uh, I don't know how how sophisticated the thinking was that went into that, or if it was just that Alan well, Cordner was the only person who could it, do an accent. It could be that. That's what I was thinking. It could also be the fact that they re- they very quick maybe they tried it where they oh we're talking like this, and then they very quickly realised that would be awful to listen to, especially Alexi Sayal. Would have been horrendous. Like <laughs> talking like this, I'm an hello. Yeah. I'm a- I'm a Scouse French male. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. God, I think horrible. they probably very quickly went, no, we can't do that. Um, but Alan Cordner, because he's an actor, an yeah. actual actor, he can actually do that accent. But you're probably right. I think, to be fair, I think I think Neil Morrissey's quite all right in this as well, given what he has to do. He's playing the Neil, the, yeah. the same kind of character he plays on Men Behaving Badly to some extent as well. He's sort of honing that slightly, you know, charming thicko kind of character. Yeah, I, th- I think we, we forget sometimes because of his massive success in that show that he he was a he, he was just a proper you know actor came up through theatre yeah. Hull Truck mm-hmm. he was like a, a you know so we now we we kind of think of him as you know comedy actor uh, but I've, I've I've got a lot of time for Neil Morrissey as a as an actor and I think he's I, I think he's very good I think the whole support cast actually are very good you know Walter Sparrow's in there it's like it's like it's a really great kind of like great supporting cast and we've we've mentioned you know the the guest stars yeah uh and it has really good guest stars you know rebecca front yeah i adore rebecca front you know she she's in there and you know windsor davies and john bird and all these these fantastic patrick marber david um, schneider a lot, a lot of the people who uh, patrick marber went on yeah. to do a lot of the armando Iannucci, you know stuff 
Partridge, yes. Day to Day, Friday Night Armistice, yeah. all that stuff that would come after this, mostly. It is, again, the whole show is, yeah, it, so it hasn't stood the test of time, but I think it's worth a watch because it's so adjacent to all these other better, great projects. You know, it's it's adjacent to, to you know, the young ones and the Ben Elton stuff and then to the Amanda Anucci stuff and then to, to Father Ted and, and beyond. It's like it's so it's so intertwined with that. Yeah, it's this weird little failure. Uh, and it was an instant failure, uh, you know, be- because it's shit. <laughs> but it's really... I th- yeah, let's not beat around the bush. Yeah. Like, like so if, if you're listening at home, at home, folks, I would say that, that you should definitely go and watch this. It's yeah. utter it is, shit. It, you you are not going to find a hidden gem. This is not a hidden gem. We're not, we've not spent an hour talking about a hidden gem. It's not. But it's interesting. And I, th- I think it would be no. worth anyone who's interested in comedy and the history of comedy and... These these actors and these creatives, it is worth watching, definitely, or at least worth watching the episodes we've we've mentioned. So, so yeah, you, you'll have access to the if it's still there on YouTube. Give it give it a whirl, give it a whirl. But um, yeah. Oh, the the title sequence is really nice as well. Oh, yeah. The art they use for the title sequence, I like. It's that. quite fun, yeah. yeah. And the the sort of cult <laughs> sort of jazzy, yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. It's true. That's the that's the best thing about it. The title sequence. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, it's been fun to. Dig into it though, and go into this and uh, explore a comedy that um, I, I haven't seen in the past. So I, I dare say we'll 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 try and flip between you know the, the bigger known shows and some of these little curios at points as well. So that'll be fun to do. But um, we'll be back soon for another episode uh, talking about some more comedy. Uh, until then, Rob, why don't you point people towards where they can find you online? Yeah, so the best place to find me is is Twitter. That's kind of my hub, and it's Four Ducks on twitter and uh whatever i'm doing whatever i might be working on i usually sort of filter it through there um but also i'm i am starting to do a bit more on the we made this network so keep an Mm -hmm. eye out for my name start popping up there uh i've done a couple of the real talk podcasts and hopefully i'll be doing a few more projects along with this um in the future yeah you'll have been on uh podcast 616 by this point with me their marvel cinematic universe one so that's that's fun that's going to be a laugh oh yes um so yeah check out what we're doing over there you can find me on twitter as well at aj black writer and uh the we made this network at wmt underscore network you'll find all the shows uh and my own writing and uh, about books and tv and movies is on the truth is in here.co.uk if you want to check some of that out but uh Thanks for joining us to talk about uh, another episode. Um, yeah, we're part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Please subscribe to You Have Been Watching and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want to help out our network, please consider supporting us on Patreon if you go to patreon.com forward slash we made this. Uh, Paris, Alexis Sales Paris, is not all we're discussing. So we'll give you a taste of what you might have missed on the network in a minute. Until next time, you have been listening to Tony Black and Robert Turnbull. And uh, we're off to do some painting like a pair of shit Picassos. See you next time, elsewhere, on We Made This. Podcast 616, a Marvel Universe podcast. I definitely noticed that they weren't the actual voice actors. Uh, It didn't bother me. It didn't feel strange or anything. I mean, we as viewers have become so accustomed to seeing, you know, Chris Pratt as Star-Lord or Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa, or Dave Bautista as Drax, that in these instances, when we hear their voices and they don't necessarily match, it's like, oh, wait a second, you know, that's not the right person. But 
you know, stepping outside of it for a moment, you know, these are comic book characters where we're introducing the multiverse, right? And now we are introducing all of these um, tangents of stories that can go in any different kind of direction. So they don't need to be the same actor. They don't need to be the same voice one-to-one in my mind. And as a fan, I can accept this. I'm okay with that. movie palace podcast yeah it's true though somebody you found yourself drawn to over the years have you watched like a lot of his films so uh, just in terms of like french new wave i think i've seen more jean-luc godard than i've seen francois truffaut but i really do love francois truffaut i love his attention to um realism and to small aspects of people's lives and i love his stories and how character driven they are I've seen like Shoot the Piano Player, Jules and Jim, which isn't one of my favorites, but I'm trying to appreciate it more. Shipwrecked and Comatose, a Red Dwarf podcast. Craig Charles looks f***ing cool as Sebastian Doyle. (laughs) I love to look that cool. Oh, (laughs) that Craig Charles tends to look cool all of the time, though. Well, true, much. but he looks more sophisticated, cool than rocker yeah. dude with yeah. a band cool. And I'm getting yeah. old, I want to look sophisticated, cool, rather than rocker dude cool. <laughs> Craig Charles had apparently said that, you know, it's um, it was great to be able to play this version of Lister because that's more like me. <laughs> oh, it's him being the cool yes. guy. <laughs> Uh, which I thought was great check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network